Good morning and welcome everybody. You're listening to The Breakfast Show on Faith FM 87.6, 87.8 or 88 right across Australia, right across the Faith FM network. Make sure those buttons get pushed on the right time right there. (laughs) Whoa, okay. Okay, calling, calling out. Come on, Lyle. Come on. Bro, that's your wife, man. You have to go home with her. It's all good. She does an amazing job of producing here. Yes. And uh, putting together our show with amazing music. Correct. It, and talking to the listeners and yep. lining everything up, making sure that we can speak, all Keep, kinds keeping, of things. Keeping us on, on track. That's right. Telling us off. You know what? Pre- pre- press an applause for Producer Shell right now. <laughs> yes, everyone, put your hands together, Producer Shell. That's what we're thankful for this morning, that we have such an incredible, amazing producer who, who runs the show. Absolutely, and if you want to say thank you, then give us a give us a call or send us a text message on zero four nine one zero six four six six nine, and just <laughs> say how so much embarrassed. How, how thankful you are for the amazing music we we get That's here, right. and how the whole program is just uh, put together, mm-hmm. and of course then produced for the delayed broadcast listeners mm-hmm. and the afternoon shows mm-hmm. and everything else that takes place. You all better be careful though, because Lawson's filling in for me on Wednesdays. So. Ah, yeah, threatening <laughs> <laughs> with all kinds of weird music. <laughs> We're gonna we're gonna have uh, it's gonna pre- be all producer. foreign language. <laughs> That's right. It's gonna be all foreign language music, guys. Get ready. Get, Asian, get excited. Right? Oh, Asian, Spanish, the whole, all, the whole lot. all of it. Every continent. We're we're doing a world tour. Okay, it's gonna be awesome. You're listening to the Breakfast Show podcast on Faith FM. Positively different. Coming through on the text line right now. I've got amazing producer, amazing music, <laughs> amazing program. Thanks, Shell. All right, so if you'd like to say your uh, thanks to producer Shell for the amazing job that she does, our number is 0491064669. Yeah, this is this is to dig Lyle out of any future holes that he digs himself in. It's like, hey... Definitely skirting around the edges of them this morning. <laughs> Awesome. Hey, well, let's have a look at our 100 point question for the quiz. For 100 points, what woman was Jacob tricked into marrying by his devious Uncle Laban? 0491-064-669 is the number to call if you know the answer. For 100 points, you can win yourself a Faith FM bookmark and or, well, not and or, but and bumper sticker. Or you can answer every question correctly, get your points on the board, and get every single prize. But again, that question was, what woman was Jacob tricked into marrying by his devious uncle Laban? It's a bit of a tough one to understand, to be honest. I've, I've always... Yes, it's a pretty wild story, uh, unless we understood. There's a lot of things about um, marriage practices in those days that we have, we just we just don't understand. Yeah, we but, do not yeah, know. just just being tricked into marrying someone—that's yeah, that's that's, that's, that's not yeah. finding out until the next day. It's okay. Anyway, it's okay. what it is. Fair it's enough. Is. All right. Fair uh, enough. We, okay. can't, we can't comment because <laughs> it is what we it weren't is. there. <laughs> we were not there. We do not know how those marriage uh, ceremonies worked back then, and that's the only thing I can come up with. Yep. Apart from just standing back and shaking my head. <laughs> just wow. Anyway, zero four nine one zero six four six six nine is the number to call. If you know the answer, there will be a prize coming your way. Let's see if you can get the full show bag today. Uh, jump in and participate. You can do it for the prizes. You can do it for bragging rights. 
we have a whole crew who does it for bragging rights every morning and uh, enjoy playing the quiz. So jump in and participate today in any part of the program that you'd like to comment on. Uh, 0491-064-669. Just love to hear from our listeners. What's happening in the world of positively different news? Okay, i got some conservationist news. I have greenie. some greeny news. Just, yeah, that's right. That's right. Greeny news, guys. Listen to it here. Now, there's uh, actually okay. some really cool stuff. Uh, the first one uh, is that in a national park in Rwanda, a team of researchers who have been doing a survey of the area, like going, you know, kind of uh, block by block, grid by grid, and checking out animals there and, and taking, you know, taking note of what's taking place in this particular area. It's, uh, I believe it's called the Nyungwe National Park in Rwanda. Uh, they have found a bat that they thought to be extinct uh, that no one has seen for the last 40 years. Oh, that's cool. I love these kind of stories. So they've never seen this bat, like, like well, uh, th- this bat hasn't been seen in the time that I've been alive. Um, and even further, for the last 40 years, no one has seen this bat. It is called the horseshoe bat, and it is the funniest looking thing I've ever seen. Bats kind of are funny looking. Nah, but look at this one, bro. Look at this. Yeah, that's pretty, that, 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 that's that its mouth. Wild. That's its mouth, and that's its nose, and its eyes are hidden behind its, its big old ears. And it's just like... Okay, for those of you who are listening, which is... Everybody. Which is everyone. I will explain. It basically, it's it's its mouth looks like an upside down horseshoe. It's just this big round thing that is like imagine a bat's head, but then imagine its mouth is big and round so and takes sad. up most of its, it's not face. Not just sad face. It's like super sad emoji face. Um, I, I don't know. Then I guess so. super sad on steroids. Nah, it just looks dumb. Uh, but you know, good for it. I guess it's living its best life. Uh, but yeah, this is the first time they've seen this bat in forty years. Um, and uh, Doctor Flanders, who was leading this team of conservationists um, as, you know, this team of scientists who were describing it and looking at it and who found it. You know, obviously, um, this is a great discovery for them and they're pretty stoked about it. And now they've taken notes, they've, um, you know, gone further, like, into the jungle where it is found. This is the only one that they've found and they're like, where does it come from? So they're in the process of fitting uh, some kind of tracker to it to find out where it hangs out so it can find its bat friends because, obviously... They haven't seen this one in ages. And they're like, how many of these things are there? They have no idea. But it exists. It looks really funny. You should look if you want to look it up. Uh, it is called this specific type of bat. Um, I believe they call it the horseshoe bat, right? Yeah, they call it the... That's what you said. Earlier. Yeah, I, it has a horseshoe-faced mouth. Uh, it's a horseshoe-shaped mouth, but... They call it the horseshoe bat as well because yes. it looks so silly. Um, that's like its defining feature. In other news... They should just call it a silly bat. They should just call it dumb. <laughs> 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 I wish I could name things, dude. You can't call it a dumb bat because it's too similar to numbat. True. Which is already a thing. Yeah. I wish I was in charge of naming things. Oh, you wish I you would... could have been Adam, right? You would have had fun. Oh, I would have had you know, so much fun. Because you get to name all the animals and... Yeah. But I guess it wouldn't have meant anything back then because it's like, I don't know, words are just starting to exist, right? Whereas, like, now it's like, oh, I, like, find, like, a new species of bee and I just call it Buzzy. This is, <laughs> this is a Buzzy Bee. Like, that's its scientific name. Like, so just stupid things like that. I think it'd be amazing. <laughs> Your boat's going to be named something like Bodie McQuote. <laughs> yeah, that's right. That's why not? Like, why not? Um, in other news, um, in Saudi Arabia, they have come up with this system to grow spinach. Well, to grow pretty much anything in the middle of the desert. Like, 
so basically they they've set up this this is really cool so they um They've made this hydrogel uh, in, you know, the, some researchers from the university there. They've, they've created this hydrogel, um, and this hydrogel sits underneath a um, – it sits underneath a solar panel, but then the hydrogel sits on top of a metal box. So it goes like solar panel, hydrogel, metal box, and then in that metal box is some, like, crops. Uh, you know, they were using spinach in particular and they're like in the middle of the desert. And basically what this hydrogel does is it absorbs water from the atmosphere around it, you know, from, from their, you know, the arid, this is in, you know, the super arid, arid, sandy area, but it's absorbing. But there's lots of water because there's water in the air. Because there's water in the air. So it absorbs all this water. And then for this solar panel that's on top of it, the, you know, the unwanted heat that is produced you know, on the solar panel from the sun reflecting on it, is then dispersed into this hydrogel, which then releases the water onto the crop of spinach that's being protected by the metal box. And then the spinach grows, and then you have solar energy, and that is nuts. everyone is happy. That is nuts. Human and beings are amazing. This is seriously so cool. And, and, like, the point that the researchers who were creating it was making is that, like... Um, so you take this box out, put it on the ground... Put cabbage seeds under it. Yep. And away you go. And away you let literally. And you eat cabbage. And then you just eat car- cabbage. Cabbage is awesome. And you can and you can grow it anywhere. Like that's the biggest point that they were making is that a lot of these places that uh you know uh, struggle with with famine and don't have access to electricity and all this kind of stuff are in like super arid you know tough areas to to, to grow things. Um, and uh, you know sub-Saharan or whatever it may be. And so yeah, you can just. <laughs> have a small scale farm in your backyard in, in a couple of these boxes that just create food. So yeah, again, chuck some seeds in there. But, and plus all of this, like all the, the heat that is used to um, get the water to come out of the hydrogel, um, that is just like the, the unwanted, you know, waste energy from the solar panel itself. The solar panel is also just creating electricity, which you can plug back into your house. So you can be literally anyway. Like, we could just move into a shack in the middle of the Simpson Desert and have food. That would be amazing. So so even like out in the Simpson Desert where the air is pretty dry, it's still going to find moisture. That's right. They're testing this in Saudi Arabia. Okay. That's pretty impressive. That's really, really impressive. Because if I lived in the, you know, like in Birdsville or something or other, you mm-hmm. know, you'd be a little bit challenged to actually grow something out there. Mm-hmm. But that's very impressive. Yeah, I'm, I'm impressed. I'm, I'm impressed as well. So I guess we will see where this goes. Obviously, its its initial intentions are made to be, you know, quite philanthropic. They want to give this to people. They want yes. to give this to people in struggling countries, um, and whatnot. But uh, this can easily be commercialized, and you can just take this box anywhere and live off the grid. That's incredible. That would be so fun. And finally, the, uh, you know, we get on here and have a little bit of fun talking about electric cars sometimes. Um, the electric car that I'm looking forward to, I don't want to make this sound like an ad, uh, but, you know, so far we've got, like, electric sedans and we've mm-hmm. got electric four-wheel drives, mm-hmm. which, are, which are all cool. But Volkswagen has just released it in Europe an electric van. And I'm like, this, this is the the ultimate right here. This, that's what I want. Minivan. I mean, I want an electric minivan. Minivan. Yeah. That's a, you're a minivan kind of guy. I. That's exactly what I want. So I can carry people around. And so Volkswagen has put one out. It's called the ID Buzz. And the, I don't know. It's just an electric minivan. It looks pretty cool. So I'm like, yes, this is the future. 
You're listening to The Breakfast Show Podcast on Faith FM, positively different. It is The Breakfast Show here on Faith FM and we are getting into some more serious news here in just a moment. Before we do, we have another question for our quiz. All right, for 200 points, whose sons were specifically mentioned as priests in Israel in charge of performing sacrifices during the time of Moses? 0491-064-669 is the number to call if you know the answer. For 200 points, you can win yourself an issue of Science Magazine or get your points on the board. Continue to work your way through the quiz. But again, that question was, whose sons were specifically mentioned as priests in Israel in charge of performing sacrifices during the time of Moses? If you know that one and you get the answer correctly, then you'll know it um, and Lyle won't. Okay. <laughs> Because Lyle doesn't know what it is. Lyle doesn't That's because know Lyle answer. was multitasking while you were uh, working nah, on that. Nah, Lyle just never knows the answer. He, just, he was listening. You were not. You were looking and you're like, I could see. <laughs> yeah, I was, I, was, I was working on a text message that came through. Okay, okay, okay. Anyways, through in my mind. what's happening in the news? Okay, so heading across to before we get into the big one, uh, heading across to Tennessee, they're going to uh, they're trying to pass a bill right there to state that uh, natural immunity is as good or better than uh, the vaccination, and that there should be no discrimination against people that have either. You know, and I think we're at the stage in our world right now where we should just get on with life because we've done we've done everything that we possibly can. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that frustrates me is that we have. You know, a dearth of medical professionals. We have a dearth of educators. We have a dearth of people in all kinds of different industries. And we are, you know, obviously trying to bring in people from overseas, which is great to fill those roles. But we've got a whole slew of people here in this country that are waiting to go back to work. Just put them back to work already. Mm. You know, we've got the highest vaccinated rate of anywhere in the world. You're not going to do more than what we've done. And at some point, we're going to get back to normal. Mm. Anyway, that's my little bit of a rant for today. Um, (laughs) I'll get that off my chest and move on to talk about the big story I want to talk about today. And that is that over 100 Christian leaders Mm -hmm. have sent an open letter to the Russian Orthodox Patriarch urging him to use his influence on the political leaders of Russia to end the war in Ukraine. So this is a good thing. I don't know how much of an effect it's going to have because Mm -hmm. it's coming from the West. And the leader of the Russian Orthodox Church already feels a strong disconnect with the West. He sees the West as being the enemy. So why would you, you know, this is what you would expect from the West and Mm. from Western church leaders. So these are heads of denominations and charities, uh, significant writers and so forth that Mm. have put this together. And they're urging him to intervene with uh, Putin to bring this to an end. Now, of course, his sermon on March 5, the Patriarch Sermon, um, described the war as a spiritual struggle against the West's so-called values. Mm. And, and this is interesting because it does highlight some of the issues that are raised in this war. Um, he specifically mentioned LGBT plus indoctrination and radical gender ideology that was ramp- that is rampant in the West as things that need to be eradicated. I don't think that eradicating them by an invasion is the way to go. You know, these are these are some issues right here that you know, I can I can find some some common ground with the mm. with the patriarch right here and I think a lot of spiritual leaders can but not on an invasion. Yeah, that's right. You don't go and invade another country and kill a whole bunch of people just so that you can have uh your um you know preferred ideology there. Mm. Um 
He also mentioned the extermination of Russians in eastern Ukraine. So that was, those were sort of his three big issues. But what it does do is it does turn this war into a more of a religious war than what it was before. Mm. And this is one of the challenges that you get with all of these wars that are being fought. It doesn't take long after the first shots are fired or even long before those shots are fired for, it, for religion to be invoked. And religion to be dragged into it because once you drag religion into it, you can incite a higher level of emotion which incites a higher level of morale and desire to fight Mm. Uh, because, you know, when emotions rule, then reason goes out the window. And this is one of the reasons why emotion... Uh, is such a bad thing and why bringing religion into war is such a bad thing. Of course, uh, Francis preempted it um, when he pitted the Catholic Church against the Orthodox Church when he described the Ukraine as being a martyred nation. Now, the word martyr, and of course, you know, these these guys, they engineer their speeches. Mm-hmm. They don't just sort of say random things. They engineer their speeches and they go over it and they put words in with specific intent. A martyr is somebody who dies for their faith. Mm. And so Francis is stating that the Ukraine is a nation that is dying for its faith. In other words, it is being destroyed because of its religion. Mm. Because the Ukrainian Orthodox Church, of course, broke away from the Russian Orthodox Church and formed full communion with the Roman Catholic Church. Mm-hmm. And so Francis comes out and, you know, makes a statement like that. That turns it into a religious war already. It's no wonder that the patriarch, who is his, his, his opposite number, uh, comes out with a fiery sermon on March 5 to come back at what Francis is saying. And what you've got here between these two leaders is a war, a conflict that goes back for a thousand years. Mm. You know, we, we think about the Crusades, and when I mention the Crusades, everybody thinks about, you know, the seven different uh, wars that were fought to retake Jerusalem for Christianity. Mm. But what about the Northern Crusades? Yeah, that's right. Which took place after the Great Schism in 1054 and lasted for 400 years. Mm. You know, the Catholic Church trying to bring the Orthodox Church back, fighting in Russia. You know, Russians... We don't we don't understand this kind of history because we never talk about it. It doesn't really affect us directly. But Russians, you know, they study this history. They know this history. Mm. They know even more recent history where you've got, you know, the situation, say, in the Second World War uh, when the Axis powers set up a puppet government in uh, in Yugoslavia and went and committed, you know, Holocaust. Mm. To wipe out the Orthodox Church there. You know, we think about we talk about the Orthodox Church and we talk about six million Jews who lost their lives as a result of the Holocaust. What we often don't talk about is the Holocaust that took took place against the Roma people, mm. or gypsies as they were called, uh, or the Orthodox people. And uh, you've got the, the bigger of those two, the second biggest group of people that was exterminated in the Holocaust were Orthodox. Mm. You've got a quarter of the Orthodox population, nearly a quarter of the Orthodox population of Yugoslavia that was exterminated for their faith Wow! in Yugoslavia. You had an organisation there by the name of, uh, it was called the Eustachi. It was headed by, uh, headed by the fellow, fellow by the name of uh, Ante, um, what was his name? Ante, it'll come to me in a minute, I'll remember his name. Um, <clears throat> Pavlic. 
who was called, you know, the uh, the, the Croatian Führer. You know, because this is this was a, a government that was that was patterned on it was set up by the Italians and Germans. Mm-hmm. And uh, you know, this is a guy that committed terrible, terrible atrocities, uh, and was was you know at times hosted at the Vatican, had very wow. close relationships with the Vatican. The uh, the Pope would you know Pius the Twelfth would have him come to the Vatican, and there was a constant flow of information going backwards and forwards about everything that was happening there at that time. And so you know we talk about religious conflict. You talk about the conflict between the Orthodox and the Catholic churches, and I got to say this. This kind of conflict doesn't matter which side you take. This is not Christianity. Mm. Christianity doesn't go out to you know to exterminate and to destroy people left, right, and centre, and to try and take human life wherever they go. It just doesn't do that. That is not Christianity. Totally, and we can put that in the context of like you know uh, how Christianity is being used to colonise nations and all kinds of things. It's like no, that's not Christianity. That's no, it's a culture. Missionary endeavor is fantastic. Mm. Bringing people to Jesus is fantastic. Yeah. Teaching them to live a peaceful life and to end wars, that is Christianity. Mm. Christianity is not going to war to wipe out another church just because you don't like the theology of that particular church. Mm. Uh, in the open letter it says, We mourn the ordeal which our brothers and sisters in the Ukraine were undeservably subjected uh, this, oh, this was an open letter by the by Russian um, priests. There was about 250 of those. And then there was about 400 evangelical pastors in Russia who also signed the same uh, open letter. Our army is conducting full-scale military operations in another country, dropping bombs and rockets on the cities of our neighbouring Ukraine. As believers, we assess that what is happening is a grave sin of fratricide, the sin of Cain who raised his hand against his brother Abel. No political interests or goals can justify the death of innocent people uh, in addition to the bloodshed, the invasion of sovereign Ukraine enroaches on the freedom of self-determination, its citizens. Hatred is being sown between our peoples, mm. which will create an abyss of alienation and enmity for generations to come. We need to pray that peace will come to Ukraine. You're listening to The Breakfast Show Podcast on Faith FM. Positively different. Hey, we're about to have our interview of the day. Before we do, 300-pointer. What important religious artifact was brought from Zion to the new temple built by Solomon? Okay, if you know the answer to that one, number <laughs> to call is... 0491064669. For 300 points, you can win yourself a pocket sermon or you can get those points on the board. Continue to work your way through the quiz. But again, that question was, what important religious artifact was brought from Zion to the new temple built by Solomon? Well, joining us on the phone this morning is one of our pastors from uh, northern New South Wales in the flood-affected region. Uh, that is Boris Jovanov. Boris, welcome to the show. Morning, guys. Thanks for having me. Fantastic. Now, Boris, um, you're up in Mwoolumbar, which is kind of ground zero for the floods. And we're going to talk about the floods a little bit this week as we you know, move into the uh, clean-up phase. And the reason we're going to do that is because people so quickly forget when a disaster passes, not realising that for people affected this is going to go on for months, if not years. Uh, yeah. tell, us about, tell us about your church. Tell us about your situation. First of all, let's start with your church. I saw photos of your church sort of in the middle of a lake. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we uh, we definitely got we definitely got significantly flooded in. So, 2017 was a really big flood for um, our, our region as well. It was one of those one in a hundred year floods. Um, 
I guess it's one in a hundred years if you don't take into consideration what we know about prophecy. However, um, this time it went about 50 centimetres higher than last time. And so there were still parts of the church last in 2017 that were dry, whereas this time around there was no, no area at all that was dry. Yeah, that's, um, that's pretty um, phenomenal. That's half a metre higher than the one in a hundred year flood. That happened yeah, about five years ago. That the church is actually built on ground. That at the time that it was built, it was built one metre higher than the highest ever flood. And so yeah. the situation definitely, you know, getting worse when it comes to natural disasters. But, you know, the reality is from what we were hearing, um, you know, earlier that day, um, officials tweeted out that this will not be higher than the 2017 flood. And so this, this did really take people um, mm. by surprise. Were you able to get into the church and move equipment to, you know, higher levels within the church in preparation for this? Or was it because, well, the forecast, you know, said it's not going to go this high that uh, didn't didn't get to do that? Yeah, yeah, that's exactly the situation that we were in. So we we knew that there was going to be flooding. And to be honest, in a lot of these areas, we do have very minor flooding quite frequently where maybe a road or two gets cut. Um, but yeah, hearing that this is not going to be higher than 2017, we all kind of thought that, okay, you know, it's, we'll, we'll be fine. You know, we've had, we've had a couple of minor floods this year already. There's, there's a few quite low-lying areas in, in um, the Moorland Buck Council. Um, but yeah, by the time that it got to the point where we realised it's going to be higher than 2017, we couldn't get to the church because all Yeah, everything had been cut off by then. Boris, um, yeah. with your understanding of Bible prophecy and your understanding of, in your church's understanding of Bible prophecy, what's the general thought looking into the future? Is it move the church, build a levy bank around it, or just pay a lot more insurance? <laughs> Mate, these are these are the very difficult conversations that we're having right now, and honestly, we're actually really blessed as a church. We're really blessed because we have a number of very talented individuals who have experience in building and construction, and they're actually just going through the viability study of that right now, of what is the most realistic and affordable way to be able to mitigate against um, future floods. Um, but I don't, I don't have the answer for you right now. It's still, honestly, still early days. Like we've still got our whole church sitting on our back lawn, waiting to see what we can get insurance for. And so, you know, we're we're still a fair way away from properly being able to rebuild and mitigate. Um, and and yeah, look, the reality is this: we've got to do something, otherwise, we're not going to be able to afford insurance. And that is actually the situation that many in our community have already been in. Um, after the 2017 flood, the insurance prices for many people went through the roof to the, it just got to the place where literally they can't afford. I was, I've been hearing stories where some people are having to pay 12 to 14,000 a year for house insurance. And there's areas around here where we're hearing stories where insurance companies are just saying, no, we're not going to insure. Uh, you need to understand that we will insure your house, yeah. but not against floods in that area. Yeah, and so we have people in that situation too. And so they they were carrying a mortgage and then 2017 flood came along 
And so now they're carrying the kind of double mortgage because of the repairs. And now five years later, they hit again. Mm. And so, you know, we, we have some people that are in a really, really um, bad, bad situation, really. Like, you know, South Mwollomba, Kondong, Tumbulgum, like these, these got smashed. And then not to mention further down south and like Lisbon and Woodburn, um, Ash, who is my senior pastor at our church, <clears throat> um, his mum's place um, got absolutely devastated. And, you know, the, the water was pretty much up to the ease of a double-story building. And that's not even the worst part. Like, water stayed in the building for about six days before it retreated. Mm. Um, and so, you know. Yeah, so it's, it's, know, it's kind of like how, how much of that structure is even salvageable exactly. or is it just a matter of just dozing it? Exactly. So what we've been hearing is that in Lismore, apparently, you know, of the 1,000 houses that have been flooded, 900 have been condemned. So people are actually going to be in a very desperate situation. And the reality is, like, when things like this happen, there is a slight silver lining, and that is that the community really comes together, you know. Um, and so on the Sabbath... Yeah, tell us about that Sabbath. Point, I heard about this Sabbath, and it was it was definitely sounded like it was going to be a, uh, a very different Sabbath that you were going to have, the Sabbath after the floods hit with your church, not, not the usual worship service. Yeah, definitely not. Now, we've got a fairly large facility, which, you know, at times can be a blessing, but when it's covered in mud, <laughs> you'd rather a smaller one. Um, but we ha- we weren't we weren't able to rip up the carpets till Thursday morning, and there's just no way we thought we could do church. But we all got stuck into it. Journey. We had Bobcat at the front, like the church just so sacrificially served, and we're able to have church service. But what we decided to do just didn't feel right to do church when there's so much devastation around. And so what we did, we actually did church extra early. We did church from 9.30 to 10.30. And God really blessed. We had a really high Sabbath. We had a baptism. My son, my eldest son got baptized, actually. It'll, um, it'll be a baptism. I'm sure you never forget. That's, that's then, a pretty special. Uh, that's a pretty special. So you're having a baptism. So wait, 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 wait. Let me just, let me just picture this for a second. So you're, you're, um, in church. You've got what? No carpet, no pews, no sound no system. Carpet, no pews. Yeah. Um, it's just you, you've got a concrete floor, you're sort of standing around, there's mud <laughs> everywhere, and it's like, yeah, let's have a baptism. I mean, what better could, what better thing could you do during a flood, right? Well, the thing is, for a baptism, all you need is, need is water, right? <laughs> and you have no shortage of that. <laughs> hey, Boris, Boris, hey, look, the other the, thing the too. The reality is that we're, we're really committed that, like, the reality is, if you look through history, the church always thrived in a crisis. Yes. And so while we are to serve and while we do have big, big work ahead in, in restoring a facility and mitigating against floods, that is not actually why we exist. We exist so that people can come to know Jesus mm. for themselves. Mm. And we, we, we serve people because as Christians, we love them and we want to serve everyone that they need. So that purpose is for them to come to know Jesus. And so we weren't. I was talking to my son. I actually said, "Do you want to postpone this thing?" He's like, "Dad, I've waited too long. Let's just do this." Okay, okay. And, and, can, can, and, can I jump in yeah. here for a second? Can I just, just jump in for a second? Because what of I want to get, what I want to get to, is what you did when the church service finished. Um, That's it. But what's your son's name? Noah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, one of the people I church actually made that comment. They said, "What more appropriate person to get baptized after a week like we've had?" 
yeah. And what was, did you do the baptism? Did you do the baptism, Boris? Yeah, my my wife and I had the privilege of going into the front baptizing our son. It's actually, um, you know, every parent's dream to be able to see their child choose for themselves to serve their Lord. Ah, amen. That's that's, that's amazing. So so we did that as an early service, but then for the main church service, we actually all went out into the community. And so there was about 150 of us from from church. They just went out shoveling mud, um, delivering food, um, praying and ministering with people. And honestly, like, there's just so many testimonies that came back from our church family of just people in tears. So normally when you go to church, you normally you normally go to church wearing, you know, a nice shirt, nice pants, uh, nice nah, shoes, yeah, carrying a yeah. Bible. You guys went to church wearing gumboots and carrying a shovel. That's it. I love That's it. it. Praise so, God. So we're Seventh-day Adventists, and so we actually keep the biblical Sabbath on Saturday. And so what we kind of advertised is we told the church to come in their Sunday best because for us, Sunday's typically a, a chores around the house day. And so we came in our Sunday best with our gumboots and our work clothes and our shovels and gurneys and, and just, Everyone rolled their sleeves up and got stuck into it. And really on that Saturday, on that weekend, um, the bulk of the cleanup work that needed to happen, happened. And it wasn't just our church. It was a whole collaborative effort from the community. The fire department was going around hosing. People from Brisbane and Gulkers were just driving in, offering a hand. Um, this is kind of like that silver lining. It, to get rid of that mud, to, to kind of, I guess, stop it from even more damage happening. Um, but now is actually the time where, like, you know, everyone, the adrenaline starts to survive. Yes. And that's why we're having this conversation this week. Yeah. No, it's good. It's good to keep it in people's mind because now for a lot of people, you know, businesses are starting to open up and and so people just don't have the time to go help as much. And not just that, the nature of the help that's required changes. And so really, um, there's not a whole lot most people can do to help physically because most people aren't skilled tradesmen that can offer their services. Um, and so really what people need is housing and finances. Yeah, so, the, so basically the labouring yeah. is done, the, the non-skilled work of shoveling mud, which yeah, we but, can all do if we are yeah. you know, reasonably fit and healthy, that's finished and now we need tradies in there to rebuild and that's going to yeah. cost money. Exactly. It's going to cost a lot of money for a lot of people who are already carrying a lot of debt. You know, a lot of these communities that got hit, some, some affluent communities did get hit, but a lot of them were um, people that were already struggling through life. And, and I totally understand this because, yeah. you know, a couple of years back I bought my first house and you sort of you look around and you see these houses that are cheaper and it's like, wow, that's within my price range, I should buy that. And then you realise yeah, exactly. that it's in a flood zone and it's like, ooh. And then you realise that the people that are buying in flood zones are not the are not typically the um, the wealthy people. Yeah. They're the yeah. battlers. So the battlers are one of the ones that have been exactly. hit. Exactly. And, and the reality is, you know, for all of us, life's going to get pretty busy pretty soon and they'll be left alone trying to figure out, okay, how do we even afford anything? And if we learn some um, lessons from the bushfires that went through a couple of years back, you know, there was a lot of help that went out immediately after the bushfires, but there are still people yeah. 
who are living in caravans from those bushfires. Yeah. Three, four years ago. Absolutely. Well, in 2017, when there was a major flood in Mwollomba, there were still some people recovering from that. And then they got hit again right on the tail end of their recovery. Yeah, right. And so, yeah, look, Adventist Community Services, um, they've actually done a pretty phenomenal job in supporting the community um, and, and offering financial aid. Um, I know Kingsliff Church, um, <clears throat> um, which is just, you know, up the highway from us, Kingsliff Seventh-day Adventist Church, that's actually become kind of like a central community hub where they're coordinating efforts and support for, for the affected areas. And they're really blessed that their church didn't go under, and so their facility can now come, become a central hub for the area. Yeah. We actually, we're collecting and, and, and donating and trying to find ways to provide continual support, not just initial support. Um, the local... Adra Off Shop in Tweed, um, they've been very generous in, in seeking ways to support, whether it's providing Coles gift cards or, you know, furniture. Like they, they, They've got almost no furniture left in their store because it's been such a big need to replace things. And so, yeah, um, being able to replenish that because, you know, in crisis, that, that Off Shop doesn't charge anything. They're just there to help the community. And I just think it's such an awesome, beautiful thing that, you know, we have people in these places that really have a heart for service and community. Yeah, that's fantastic, Boris. And, and I understand, you know, the Lismore, I think it was an op shop in Lismore, Adventist op shop in Lismore yeah. that just sort of opened their doors and said, yeah, everything's free uh, for flood-affected affected yeah. people. And, uh, exactly. And, and that's what... And that's... the beautiful thing about Lismore is that they haven't run out of stock because um, people have been moved to donate, and so as stock is going out, new stock is coming in. Yeah, praise God. All right, guys, so we've got to finish up here, but I just want to say that if you'd like to help, uh, help through ADRA, which is uh, Adventist Church Charity or otherwise, give us a call here, 0491-064-669 is our number, and we can direct you in the places where you can go to provide that kind of support. This needs to be ongoing. It's not going to go away. People are going to be affected for this for a very long time to come, and they need our help. Thanks for being a part of the Faith FM family. Join our community on Facebook or get in touch at 1-800-FAITH-FM.